Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So how much do you spend a week on luxuries, splurging, little cheeky nights out, takeaways, clothes? I bet you often wonder, like, how much other people spend Well, the thing is, comparing your own spending to someone else's spending doesn't achieve anything. It will do two things. It will, number one, make you think that, oh my gosh, I don't spend enough or I don't have enough or maybe I'm not as financially strong as someone else. Or it could go the other way and make you think that, oh my gosh, I am spending way too much. I need to cut back. But you might earn more than God. Like... (laughs) You might earn so much. So we can't really compare other people's spending to what we're spending. And we're going to talk about that tonight. In fact, we are live from Bowie Cafe, Newcastle's newest cafe on Beaumont Street in Hamilton in front of a live group. Welcome, Newcastle. So that's right. Our first live My Millennial Money podcast for the year. We're with locals, we're with friends, and we can't do this episode without the help of Sphere Home Loans. The team at Sphere don't just set up the right mortgage for you, they also check post-settlement pricing and review your loan as needed. They're always ensuring your rate stays low, not just on settlement. Search Sphere Home Loans or click the link in the show notes and they will be able to help you wherever you are. My name's Glenn James, you're joined by Shelley Johnson and some Newcastle friends. Welcome to the podcast. Shelley Johnson, regular Newcastleian, Novocastrian, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the main show. Thanks for having me. Now, I scoured the Facebook group for some questions, and I just want to kind of touch on this point from Jessica. Curious as to what amount everyone leaves themselves for their splurge slash extra slash luxury expenses. I give myself $200 per fortnight and this covers takeaway, clothes, as I have plenty, so any more are just a luxury. Non-standard cosmetics, anything I feel like buying. Also covers anything for the kids like ice creams after swimming, treats, etc. Am I still wasting too much? All other bills are accounted for and everything else I earn is saved. Now this is such a good question. That's why I opened with this. It really doesn't matter how much Jess is spending on life because everything's accounted for. She's saving money and probably investing money. So I would just be comfortable, Jess, that you are on the right track. And to be honest, $100 a week for extra luxury expenses. I mean, I went to grill the other night. It was like $80 for a terrible meal that I told them and they said yeah that's how it comes and uh, it was the only time when they come to the counter and do the check they're like how is it I'm like to be honest it's the worst salad I've ever had (laughs) and he was awkward love you grilled not getting the Mexi bowl ever again so I mean a hundred dollars isn't going far in this era and you've got kids tell us about how you're managing oh yeah not good (laughs) yeah exactly I'm a spender so I read you know this you know I'm a spender. Yeah. I read this and I, I think, Jess, you spend that 200 bucks a fortnight. 
and yeah. you enjoy because you know what? You only live once. Yeah. Okay, simple poll to our new focus group. Who thinks $200 a fortnight for like splurge, extra luxury expenses, cosmetics, anything I feel like buying, who thinks that's reasonable in this climate? $100 a week-ish? Well, there's some Too people much? shaking their heads. Yeah. Not enough. Not enough. Well, there you go, oh, Jess. Oh, that's why they're shaking their heads. Yeah. Like, no more. Up. Turn <laughs> it up to 11, Jess. Um, but at the end of the day, if you've got a system that works and you're making goals, it doesn't matter how much you're spending. Tell everyone else to go away. Love that advice. Absolutely. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm going to write that on my wall. Tell everyone else to go away. Now, Anonymous asked this question. I'm just keeping the question anonymous just for their own privacy. I am aware I may need professional advice, but for those who are in their third or fourth year at work, what made you stay with the same company apart from your bills that need to be paid? So working to live. I like what I do and I'm good at it, but I am already on my saturation point. Burned out due to politics and can't justify the remuneration I'm getting right now. Competitive pay, but makes me want to step back a bit to breathe. I do my best to take care of myself and also take days off every three weeks. I always go back to my why and it's basically my family. So, Shell, what would you tell Anonymous in this situation? Burned out, over it, don't care about the money. I'm five years into my career. What should Anonymous do? I think Anonymous needs to go back and work out what their priorities are. So... They've said that they get paid really good money. So I think the money sometimes is like the golden handcuffs. So it keeps you there and it can often keep people in an environment that isn't healthy for them or isn't aligned with their values or their sense of purpose. There's this really good quote from Gary Tan. I'm going to read it. At every job, you should either learn or earn. Either is fine. Both is best. But if it's neither, quit. And I think that's a really good point. You should either earn or learn I get the sense that Anonymous is probably no longer learning, but I think there's a third thing I'd add to that. Either earn, learn, or get a sense of purpose from the work that you're doing. So sometimes you might have been in an organisation for five years. You're no longer getting that sense of learning or growth, but you have a sense of purpose there and, and there's meaning and you're valued. If you have that, I think it's good to stay. But if you don't have any of those three things, you definitely need to quit. If you're only staying because of the money and you're absolutely miserable, there are a lot of places that pay people to work for them. <laughs> like there are a lot. There are a lot of businesses that will pay you. I've got a problem with the earn or learn thing. Sorry, what's his name? Gary? Yeah. Because there are people, and they could be even in this room, some people literally maybe like what you said, they just like to go to work get paid and go home from council that day. So, <laughs> and no, but there are people who legitimately, I know people who are not career driven, just like going to work, earning a bit of money. And I think earn, do they mean like a really good competitive salary? Like, because Yeah, I think can, that's probably, that's the assumption I'm making. Yeah, so it's okay to enjoy what you do and not hate it and be okay with a reasonable income and just go home and get on with your life, if that's your shtick. 
Well, I think that meets your sense of purpose. If your purpose is I want to have time with my family mm. and this like job that I can kind of just show up, clock in, clock off, gives me the sense of purpose because I want to be invested over here doing something else, whatever that is for you. That's why we need to go back and get clear on our priorities. If we're mm. clear on our priorities and what matters to us most, then we weigh up our big decisions against that. But to me, this person, if they've been there five years, chances are... It sounds to me like they're pretty miserable. I mean, I'm not like if I'm burned out by the politics, I'm getting the heck out of there. Yeah, because that's often an indicator of a culture problem. Yeah. So a culture problem takes a long time in a business to change. So if you're in that kind of environment, you're looking at three years for that to turn around if the leadership do something about it. Who, show of hands to our in-person focus group, who has or is working at a place that sucks the life out of you? Yeah, there's a few... About, what, 30% of the group. Yeah. So you're not alone. And the question is, we were, we're doing this, it's December in the new year. My challenge to you is what are you going to do to change that? Because life is just too short to put up with apathy unless you like it. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? If yes. you're happy with your little lot and that's not a bad thing, go to work, go home. But if you're not happy... It's up to you to make the change. Your boss is never going to actually rock up and say, oh, you're acting a bit apathetic. And they're thinking, but you're doing the job, so we're not going to let you go. I think you've got to look at how long have you been feeling like that as well. Because sometimes we have moments, you might have a month where you're just feeling really rough or it could be a little bit longer than that where you're feeling like, oh, this is just a really hard slog. There'll be periods in your working life that are like that. You need to look at what is the length of time and do I see this changing? If, this in, if I stay in this environment, do I see any other factors that are going to change this to me? And that's how you kind of make the decision. But, you, yeah, you shouldn't stay somewhere where you're miserable. Well said. Jessly says, I'm organising a hamper for a new mum. What's the best postpartum products to include? Also, how much would you set aside as a budget for this? Okay, I wanted to talk about this because it is Christmas time, people are buying gifts, but there are a lot of new mums in the making. There are a lot of... Is that what would you say? Yeah, that's fine. There's a lot of new mums in the making and I just want to involve our audience here at Newcastle at Bowie Cafe. If you haven't liked, subscribed, followed, all that... And honestly, guys, if you do live in Newcastle, you've got to check out Bowie Cafe on Beaumont Street. Look at their Instagram. Awesome food, awesome coffee, awesome vibes. And I'm just going to take my roving mic around and ask the audience about some ideas for new mums. Who wants to go first? Let's get, let's get Ken out of the way because I've got a... I've got a Kenny, do we call you Kenny? Kenny. What would you say is a, a good gift for a mum who is expecting? Breast pump, automatic. <laughs> okay. So the sensitivities of this, I just think it would be weird if Shell said, oh, we're having another baby, and I rock up at their house and say, I got you the, the nipple pump of 3,000. <laughs> have you had experience with breast pumps? Yes, I have. And what type of experience? Uh, father, grandfather. Um, you know, trying to make sure they keep working. <laughs> Love it. So there's an option, everyone. Breast pumps. So thanks for listening to the podcast, Ken. Thanks for coming along. But they'll probably blow your budget because they are expensive. Really? Yeah. 
A good one is like, I don't know, 300, 400 bucks. There you go. So just as a heads up, yeah. manage your budget. Who else wants to... Yeah. Okay, Lindy's got a hot tip. Hot tip. So um, for those of you who don't know how babies work, when they sleep, they kind of have like this reaction. So like a nice little zip-up swaddle for when they sleep. Yeah. Anyone else got any ideas? Michelle, do you want to maybe come up here because I'm running out of cable? Okay, I'll give you a hot breast pump tip. Get one that's battery operated so you're not attached to a wall all the time. (laughs) Um, And I think the question was something for mum. So get her a phone charger that's got a really long cable because there's nothing worse than being nap trapped and your phone's out of battery. And something for the baby, something that's older than three months. So clothes... Whatever, do, do not buy a swaddle. No one wants a little blanket. You steal the hospital ones anyway. <laughs> you know, something for the baby when they're a bit older because you'd never have any. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. Any last final suggestions? Come on, Jess. Jess is part of the M3 team. Hi. G'day. Um, two suggestions. A very good drink bottle and snacks you can eat with one hand because you are often holding a baby in the other. Mm. And I saw on Instagram, do you want to maybe promote your little side project podcast? Sure, I can. So I, I make a little podcast on the side, Side Hustle, um, and it's called Aussie Tiny Tales and it's for little kids and it's just little short story times about Australian animals. So check it out if you like that kind of thing. It's a bit cute. Yeah, thank you, Jess. So there you go. In fact, we might put that in the newsletter next time if you want. Might as well promote it. So there you go. I just thought we'd talk to some of our audience here. Okay, let's do one other question before we have a quick break. And I'm going to get... Who's a good reader here? Jazz. I'm going to get Jazz from Newey to read Ashley's question. And Jazz, he's doing... It's a stitch-up because it's the longest (laughs) question ever. I always do that to John. I'm like, you can read that one. (laughs) Seriously, it is like two paragraphs. Okay, here we go. I must set my performance goals. I'm a support staff member based on my manager's performance goals. Their goals are based on the company targets, but the goals targets are so abstract that I'm struggling with what individual actions I can take to help my manager meet their goals, given that the measures of success is based on a survey of how people feel captured through the employee engagement survey where two separate support functions are considered under the same banner. I am trying to come up with actions I can take to fulfil the goal of empowering and engaging staff without my performance being measured using the survey as the survey doesn't just track my individual performance but the performance of two teams. I can just not look at my manager's goals and set my own, but they must have a clear link back to company targets. Tips on setting performance goals, welcome. Wow, no. but You did good, Jazz. Crushed it. So the TLDR, was that I've got to do someone else's goals? No, the TLDR was... Get the hell out of there. (laughs) (laughs) It was, I have to set performance goals and they need to align with my manager's goals, which is common practice, right? So the way I would do this, if you've got vague goals, so let's say your manager, it was to do with the employment engagement survey. So I'll give you an example. Anything that feels intangible, if your company says, I want you to set a goal 
around people feeling happy at work. Well, that's very intangible. So you need to find a tangible way of measuring that. So for Ashley, who's asked this question, I'd be saying, all right, focus on projects, on things that you can control. So get an objective. Let's say the objective is I want to improve the team engagement and the project that I will do, I'll have a couple of projects that sit underneath that. Number one is I'm going to organise a quarterly team get-together. We're going to spend 100 bucks. That's probably not going to get us very far. If we're going to grilled, it won't get us very far at all. I'm going, to, I'm going to get budget for it. We're going to go out for drinks once a quarter, do something social as a team. That will hopefully help engagement. Number two, the next thing I want to do is I want to have regular one-on-ones with my direct reports because one-on-one meetings with your direct reports is considered a link to increased engagement. So I'm going to do fortnightly one-on-ones with my team and I'm going to ask them these three questions. How are you going? What are you working on? How can I help? Those three questions, put that in. That's how specific you get. If you can get that clear with your performance goals and then you can demonstrate... I did all of those things. I did the fortnightly one-on-ones. So anyone who has to create their own goals, I want you to focus on what you can control. And it might still be a challenge, but what you can control, create your goal around that or your objective around that, and then link it to a broader company objective, which is increasing employee engagement. And here's the projects that I'm going to do that help that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Shell. You can hear Shell on the My Millennial Career podcast. You yeah. can also read Shell in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age once fortnight. She's got a column now. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Look out. Radio. thanks, Shell. We'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Okay, we're back. Now, what we're going to do is, and everyone here is laughing because I don't actually have a break. We just keep it rolling. We're going to do the community segment of the week. We asked everyone in the Facebook group, what kind of regular habits have improved your life? Now, I'm going to ask a whole heap of Novocastrians for some habits that they've implemented that have improved their life. So, who, who has a habit that they've thought of? Okay, we've got one there, one there. Probably need four. Yep. Anyone else? Because I just want to... Sweet. Okay. All right. 
Okay, Luke. Hi. Um, my wife and I... <laughs> so a habit that's really helped my wife and I is having a shared Google Calendar. Um, so that way we know at all times what each other have on, we can basically plan our whole lives and we know what's coming up. That's awesome. Maybe try communicating. Um, <clears throat> okay. Or outsource it to tech, whatever. Liam. Honestly, having regular touch points in your life, whether it's health, finance, just general well-being, making sure that you essentially just have a thumb on the pulse just to check how you go. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Darcy. Um, one of the biggest things that's helped both myself and my wonderful partner and I is setting up automatic transfers every time I get paid. So every time that before I set up automatic transfers, there was a lot of stress for me and anxiety looking at my pay and dividing it up every single fortnight. Um, and having it automatically took all that stress out, knowing that everything that needs to be covered is covered and any other money left over is play money. So good. It's just outsourcing to automation. Change your life. James Miller, it's fish and funds. What habits have you got in place? Uh, cold showers. Really? Uh, murdered anyone lately? <laughs> Absolutely not. It is very rah-rah, but it works. Wow. Any cool habits up here? Yeah, come on through Bronte. I'm out of cable. Uh, meditating. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. How does that make you... Like, it's more of a question. Do you... If you skip a day or you miss a day, do you feel that I need to do that? I wouldn't say a day. Maybe a couple of days. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, it sort of helps you work through the mess in your brain and makes everything a little bit clearer. Awesome. Uh, Jack from Bowie, restaurateur, come over here. You think of a habit on the way. Uh, <laughs> and while I'm up this end of the room, I'd just like to thank Jack from Bowie Cafe, Newcastle's newest and finest uh, entertainment precinct, uh, Bowie Cafe. Jack, thanks for having us here. My pleasure. And Jack was on the podcast a couple of months ago when I had a real-life Buddhist in the boat uh, when we did the episode at Tallulah. And that was such an empowering and inspiring episode for many people and how you talked about some of your philosophies. But Jack, what, what are some habits that you've put in place? Because you've got a pretty big operation at Tallulah and here, you're a growing family. Like, is there one thing that you've implemented in the last 12 months that's really helped you? Uh, yeah, going for a surf when I'm taking it all too seriously. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. It's supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, then you should do something else. Yeah. And w thanks for that. And uh, let's give Jack and the team here a hand for having us tonight. <laughs> thanks, Jack. <laughs> and that's it. Like, in your life, what's your one thing? I, I was with a, a friend the other day and we were on the boat and I'm like, this is my escapism. Like all the stress, all the drama, there could be financial stress, family stress, relationship stress, any other stress in your life. And it's probably clinically unhealthy, but I do it. I'm just like, this is my escapism. For the next couple of hours, I've got no problem in the world, like jack surfing, get back into your body or whatever. Like, what's your thing? So it's an encouragement. What thing can you turn into a habit, whether it is the surfing, whether it is meditation? whether it is checking your automations are done. Because without the automation set up, you might be too stressed to even want to sit down and meditate. You might be like, it's just everything is so intertwined. So we'll just do some quick housekeeping. Tonight, the 12th of December, as you're listening to this, 
There's a digital workshop, all things refinancing. Learn refinancing tips from the team at Sphere Home Loans, Rach and Melanie. They'll be talking all things reprice or refinance. Use the equity in your loan, renovation loans, how valuations can differ from different lenders and rates, preparing to borrow, all the stuff. There's a link in the show notes if you want to watch the free digital workshop with some awesome people from Sphere Finance. One thing we're starting next January and Jess's idea, it was a banger of an idea, we're starting a book club and you're welcome to join us. We'll pick one book a month and read it at the same time, then we'll chat about it in the Facebook group. We can't be bothered doing this separate group and all that. But we're going to say a book and we can all read it if you want to come along the journey. The first book for January is The Psychology of Money and there's some links in the show notes if you want to get on board. Also in the show notes, there's a link to sign up to our new email system and this is the first episode I've recorded since I accidentally sent out 21,200 and something emails incorrectly. We're in the process of changing our email system uh, and... I'm a buffoon with a rushed attitude sometimes. So if you did get that email, uh, apologies for that. Just check your spam inbox if you're in our list and mark it as not spam. We do a fortnightly email. We, not, we don't have funnels and all this stuff. We stripped it all back. We just want to keep in touch with people who listen to the show and once a fortnight, we send an email out. James Millard from Sufficient Funds, local Newcastle, Leon. Welcome, James. <laughs> Give him a hand. Thank you. James and I were at an event last night and Sufficient Funds won an award. We did. Tell us Thank about you. the award. Uh, we won Best Financial Advice Employer of the Year. Yeah. Thank you, yes. So, and another uh, partner of our network, Sky Wealth, won... A- yeah. Uh, Risk Advisor. Risk Advisor of the Year mm-hmm. in all of Australia. So how cool is that? Uh, Azaria in, uh, in the Sky Team won Young Advisor of the yep. Year. And Financial Edge Group were up for finals as well. Yeah, so Financial Edge Group who help out with our Retire Right podcast uh, won an award as well. So we have high-protein individuals in our network. So, so bear with me today because I finished at about 4 a.m. <laughs> And he didn't we'll know it. he was talking on this podcast till about an hour ago. Um, so let's do it. Let's do it. James, Jenny in the Facebook group asked, I've listened to the Hex and Help episode and found it super helpful. And if anyone does want to listen to the Hex or Help episode or have our downloadable document, if you just slide into the My Millennial Money Instagram DM and just write the word help, I'll send you a link. It's an automatic setup. It will have the downloadable document and a link to this episode that Jenny was talking about. And this is wild. I have nearly $150,000 worth of hex debt, which went up last year, even after my tax bill. I've wondered for a while if it's worth paying off or just letting it roll, possibly until I die. Her words, not mine. I'm not looking at buying a home anytime soon and I don't need the extra income. Would you try and pay it down or just let it continue passively? So if Jenny walked into Sufficient Funds HQ, aka your virtual Zoom, 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 (laughs) and she said to you or one of your advisors, what am I doing with this 150K hex debt? Because that's a big hex or help debt, isn't it? It's it's one of the biggest I think I've heard of, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we see these every day. 
I think there's one individual in Australia with a 900k hex or help debt. So what are you saying to Jenny? So I think to start with, the 150 is a big number, but it's not the 150 that matters. It's how much do you have to put onto that because that's the, that's the amount that you're then looking at zooming out for a second and going, well, if I've got, let's call it 10 grand. I've got 10 grand and I've got to decide what to do with it. I've got options. And your options come down to how much risk do you want to take as well as what return are you looking for? What do you need? And what will you get out of that? And so it's a really easy number for HEX, for help last year. So what Jenny went through is I think it was 7.2% HEX went up last year. It was indexed. That's your cost of having that investment. So your return on your investment of 10 grand onto HEX is 7.2% for the year that that happened. This coming year though, that's probably going to drop and inflation's on the way down, you might end up at about 5 or 5.5%, something like that this year. If it keeps going in that direction, though, your return on that 10 grand this year might have been 5 or 6%, next year might be 4 and it'll drop away over time if that continues in that trend. And so then you've got to think about, well, where else could I go? Money in the bank right now gives you 5% if you choose the right account. Jenny said she's not going to buy a house straight away, so maybe Jenny's got five years or six or seven years. Maybe she could consider something like the first home super saver if she is going to buy a house at some point. Uh, and there's some really good tax benefits and things of that nature, but you have to be wanting to buy a first home at some point. It could be that she's got five years plus and she could be investing in something with a bit more risk than the bank account. And so things like shares, managed funds, that type of thing, ETFs, there's a starting point for getting likely more return than what the bank's going to give you, but you've got to have enough time on your side to be able to do that. Because we've got a live focus group, who, let's be big hands raised, who thinks Jenny, I'll give you two options. First one, attack it like there's no tomorrow, pay it off as soon as possible, or the forget about it, let it come what may and I'll die with it. So who thinks she should get into it and get it out of her life? There's not one hand raised. One. <laughs> who thinks, and I'm doing this just for completeness, who thinks she should forget about it, get on with her life? A lot. A lot, yeah. So this is interesting. I was thinking about this. If I was in Jenny's position, number one, I would take stock knowing that you've probably had this hex or help debt for several years, which means you've had basically an indexation free kick the last five yeah. to 10 years. I mean, the year before, it was like 0.1% yeah, indexation, mm. which is basically nothing. So don't stress out too much on the indexation thing. Yes, it was a peak this year from last year's one. Next year, what do we think? Maybe five? Probably. Probably yeah. five. What I'm probably doing if I was Jenny is paying it off based on just the withholding amounts from work and not paying extra throughout the year and maybe just accruing savings, save money each year in a savings account. Or like, let's scenario, if she had $500 a month left over, mm. maybe save $250 in a savings account, $250 put in an investment or something. And yeah. then every year before indexation just make a judgment call. Have my goals changed? No, they haven't. I'm still happy with this and make the call. Should I commit some money to pay down extra as a voluntary payment before the indexation 
or put that money into an investment account. So, and that's the good thing about HEX yeah. is it happens once. It indexes once a year at the start of June and that's it. Yeah. And so you can, you, you can keep it there for 11 months in your bank account or in an investment or doing something else. If you decide, you can pull it out, you can save your 7 or 5% or whatever it is if you do go to the HEX route. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm literally, with, if you had such a situation like that, who's got HEX or help debt still? Yeah, so almost all, like maybe 80% of the room. Yeah, lots. Uh, I mean... Well-educated team. Yeah. yeah, that's right. We're in Newcastle, people. We know how to educate. So, yeah, I, I think you've just got to be very much in tune with your financial goals each year and make a judgment call. And if you do have 10 grand left over each year, before indexation, you might go, you know what? I'm going to throw a 10 grand voluntary payment in. Yeah. Exactly. And if you do happen to pass away before your hex is paid down to zero, it doesn't pass on. Yeah, and that's such an important point. If Jenny had, and we don't know this situation, but if Jenny had a, a partner or some kids, I'm probably not in a big rush to pay extra down because those extra payments that you're paying, for example, if she had 20 grand spare at the end of the year, and then she decided to put that 20 grand onto the hex or help debt. And as James said, if she passed away prematurely, that 20 grand is gone because the hex or help debt dies with the person. However, that 20 grand, if they put into an investment, put it into super, paid down a mortgage at the time, at least we've protected that money for the family's wealth. So that's a big estate planning consideration with hex or help debt. Absolutely. That's a lot of hex talk. Oh, Shall yeah. Shall we move on? Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> Lucy said, I am 30 and want to start investing in shares. Well, fun fact, Lucy, you already do invest in shares in your superannuation. I can invest $500 a month and plan to do this for the next 30 years. As of present life conditions, this $500 won't impact me financially to go to the shares. I've just read She's on the Money, read Barefoot, but other complex investing reading kind of goes over my head. Any suggestions on which shares to buy? I listen to Dave Ramsey a lot and I'm always hearing good mutual funds, dividend portfolios, but I'm not sure of the Australian equivalent. Okay, number one, a mutual fund is American speak for managed fund. Correct. You can get, and this is where some people get confused, people say an index fund and an ETF and a managed fund, you can get a managed fund that is an index fund. Yeah. So the managed fund is just the structure where it's the underlying thing. So people say, oh, index funds versus managed funds. It's like, no, no. No, it's, no. it's index which is passive versus active but they're both different types of managed funds. And I'm realising it's been a very long <laughs> 24 hours for both of us. <laughs> All right. Okay, wait, wait, wait. wait. Um, so, yeah, so just on that, um, Lucy, my book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested, will totally scratch your itch. And this is the thing. I've read She's on the Money, read Barefoot Investor. You can read everything till the cows come home. You just got to get started. You got to get going. Because there's, we had a question the other day like, oh, what's the perfect thing to invest in or like this analysis paralysis mm. or looking for the inside edge on investing. 
Just buy an ETF. There's and- no such thing. No. And and the more you sit around waiting, the, that's your opportunity cost. You're missing out on all the all the, the returns that naturally the market's going to give you over time. So, I mean, I thought this was cool. If you think about 500, I ran the numbers just before. Uh, and if you're ever wanting to do this yourself, the savings goals calculator on MoneySmart, moneysmart.gov.au has a really good range of super easy tools to use. And this one's one of my favorite. $500 a month at 7% return over 30 years would give Lucy about $620,000. And that's pretty cool. Like if she's in her 20s and... She's 30. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So <laughs> Lucy's 30. So by the time she gets to 60, I mean, that's, that's, that's time when you can access super. So a, a lot of people who are going to... Like we talk to a lot of clients who are going down this path of building their early retirement fund. And an early retirement fund just needs to get you to when you can touch your super, access your super. So super is tax-free. It's like the Cayman Islands bank account in Australia. It's an amazing place to have money once you get to 60. But you need to build funds like Lucy's talking about here outside of super if you want to stop work earlier than that or supplement income, drop back hours, whatever it might be. That's a huge goal for a lot of people we talk to uh, and no doubt for a lot of people in the room. So let's say she stopped that after 25 years, she had say 400, 450 grand, she'll easily live off a good 50, 60, 80, 100 grand for five years, no dramas with that amount of money. And that gets her to super and as long as she's been earning enough, she can then stop work and the super will take care of itself from there. But this is the thing. She says, I plan to invest for the next 30 years, which basically means if she's 30 now and planning to invest in the next 30 years, you yeah. just you would just use super. If Yeah. I mean, what, what super doesn't give you is the flexibility, right? So you know it's locked away. But if, you're, if you are really clear on that goal, uh, I would say there's so many things. You've got to be careful with that one because so many things can change. So... Would you hedge and say, well, you got 500 a month, maybe carve off 100 and put in ordinary money in your own name or do half and half? I'd probably be leaning the majority towards my own name. Really? If I'm 30 with a lot of life coming. Yeah, okay. Maybe I'm a bit out of life and think differently. Half, half's maybe an option. Yeah, but, okay. I mean, we're, to, to get to Lucy's actual question around what does she do, we've got to be careful. We can't say go and do this, go and buy this fund. But really, Lucy's explained and she's given us some idea of who she is and what she's up for. She's not into the highly technical investing. She's saying that some of the books are going over her head. Uh, And so really, this is about keeping it simple. You can get, and there's lots of them out there, a diversified fund that covers a whole range of different assets classes so it it has a little bit of cash a little bit of bonds the shares it'll have global and australian shares you get the whole thing in there you can get low cost index funds that cost you very little to have them and they just track the market they do their job does anyone here invest in index funds or etfs raise your hands okay cool lots of people does anyone invest in for example the vanguard diversified high growth fund one-stop shop yep there we go so yeah, so there's lots of people that invest in a blended, diversified portfolio. I've actually got a holding in Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund. It works. You just pump it. Does it, it invests. So the question is, what structure 
and how much do you put in each structure? Do we hedge and put half in super, half outside? There's plenty of options. That's the cool thing. Yeah, that's it. And, and I guess your goals are going to drive all this, right? So if, like Lucy said, $500 a month forever is cool and she thinks she can handle that, that could go into super. It could go into a bit of a split between something in her name. Uh, it could go into something like an investment bond. It would all come down to her tax rates uh, and what she's paying, what that might look like in a bond structure, uh, when she needs the money, what purpose it's for, all of those types of things. So, James, a couple of months ago, we said we'll do a defining sufficient session on the podcast with people in Newcastle. We did, yes. And life got away from us. <laughs> I think you went to America. I did. Yeah. Um, so just tell us about, in finishing, uh, your business sufficient funds, defining sufficient session as a, a first step. Like, what's it about? Because maybe we can choose a couple here tonight in Newcastle who would volunteer to do a session, maybe have it recorded on the show, no cost, no if they're fee. brave enough. You down, Luke? Let's do there it. There we go. Potentially, Luke and Rach might want to do this. Um, so, just talk us through it and we'll book okay. you in while we're here. And So, sufficient funds for us, it's about getting life right first and then aligning your money decisions with the life you want to live. So, really getting super clear, going out and saving for saving's sake, investing for investing's sake, chucking it in super. That means nothing and it'll all fall apart if it doesn't link to the things you actually care about. So, our starting point from a financial planning perspective is that. We call it defining sufficient. We have a session. We usually do it on Zoom. This one will be in Glenn's lounge room. And we get some basic details, just dot points, and we dive into it. We start to map out the next one two, three, four, five years. It might be a lot further than that if it makes sense to go that far. Just to really start to tease out all the things that maybe as a couple you may not have shared with anyone else before. Um, it might be not, you know, not the super secret stuff, but just <laughs> sometimes it's about actually saying these things out loud and all of a sudden you check yourself and you're like, actually, I don't actually really care about that or maybe this, this thing is something I forgot about and it means a lot more to me than I thought it did. And maybe as a couple, we're starting to share those things as well. So it's a session that starts to unpack this stuff. So before you go into that process, of, uh, which is a much bigger project of creating a full financial plan around your life and how you're going to bring those money decisions together and make them in the right order and do all of that stuff, do all the boring stuff like super and insurance and investment, if you can get clear on the stuff you really care about, then the plan always works. Mm. So we'll put a link in the show notes if anyone wants more information on a defining sufficient session wherever they are in Australia and we'll book in um, a, call, a, a session with James if you guys are happy to have a Press microphone shoved in your face. We can change your name to Mary and Scott, whatever, works well. Uh, but in, just in finishing, in the five minutes that we've got left, Darcy from Newcastle, you've got a question. Let's have a chat. As a general, what should someone be aiming for? Or what was the best advice you give someone if they're looking at voluntary contributions to their super? And what should be the guiding principles around that? Okay, so you've ruled out everything else. It's about putting money into super. Yes, so looking at, you know, you've got some investments, say, in some unnamed ETFs. Mm -hmm. um, and everything else is covered. Maybe you've got some money as well for emergency fund, yep. all that kind of stuff. Yep. See, I do listen. Um, 
You're good. Yeah. You're, you're a good kid. Yeah. That's all my partners. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> so uh, voluntary contributions to super, there's a couple of things. You can choose whether you put it in before or after tax. So pre-tax, you can put in up to this year, 27500 a year, including what your employer does. So if you're earning hundred grand a year, you get 11%, you got 11,000 going in already. So you've got $16,500 left this year that you could put in before tax. And so when you put it into super, you don't pay the tax through your own marginal tax rate, but it's taxed at 15% in your super fund when it lands. And then on the flip side of that, if you've already nailed that cap, you've gone over the top, you still want to put more money into super. There is a thing called catch-up contributions where you can go back and make up for the last five years, you can go over that 27 and a half. So any year that you haven't met the cap for the last five years, you can actually go back and top up over and above the 27 and a half you might put in this year. And finally, you can put it in after tax if you want to. And if you do decide to do that, there's no tax when it lands in super. But you've got 110 grand a year that you can put in after tax, or you can use a carry forward and put 330 grand in and bring three years forward. But what I would probably say when you get to the practicalities of this, you've really got two options. If you've got room in the concessional contribution cap of 27,500, you can tell your employer to withhold extra garden variety salary sacrifice to superannuation or you might keep money on your offset account, your savings account out of super before the end of June, look how much has gone in from your employer that year and then add a lump sum in yourself and tell your super fund to take the tax off that and then you tell your accountant or on your tax return, hey, I've cl- I want to claim this amount on my tax return because it went into super. Does that make sense? I'm sure when I listen back to it, it will. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, but I, I honestly think for some reason, I'm just such a big advocate for pumping superannuation to the cap first because it's a tax haven. You, di- you still need to work. There's a lot of people that financial independence retire early. They amass all this money and like, oh, I quit my job, oh, I'm bored, I'll go do something else and end up earning money. Like most people, most of the time, will always be doing some type of work. So why don't you just pump super as much as possible? And the answer, why you might not, is because it might not be right for your circumstances. Well, there's, a, I mean, <laughs> there are a hundred reasons not to do that, but... <laughs> I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. If you're, if you're earning really good money and, and you've got plenty left over, then absolutely you want to cap that out. And one real quick one, and this will probably be a much more easier uh, question. Is it ever worth making voluntary contributions to lower uh, taxable income? Yeah. Yeah. So into another bracket, is that the only time it's worth? No. So if you're, no matter where your bracket is, uh, you're going to save the tax. Yeah. I mean, so let's say you're going to make a $10,000 contribution in super, you're $10,000 above. So this year, 120000 So if you earn $130,000, you're 10 grand above that 120 line, which changes the tax rate, right? So if you were earning 130, you drop 10 grand in, you're going to save 39 cents in the dollar, including Medicare, by making that contribution. It's a very niche situation to be on a borderline tax rate and doing it just to, one, I've got the spare money, two, like, you pull a bit of a thread and you're like, what are we doing here? But in theory, yes. It's a nice problem to have. 
Absolutely. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Well, mm. give Darcy a hand, everyone. Thanks, Darcy. Well, we might leave it there. Uh, thanks so much for coming out to our only live podcast episode recorded in Newcastle on My Millennial Money this year. It's been really great to meet all of you. Thanks, James, from Sufficient Funds. Thank you. If you haven't had a chance, Jody, an advisor at Sufficient Funds, is here in the room. Give us a wave, Jody, if you ever wanted to chat to a financial advisor in the flesh. There's two in the room. Uh, I'd like to thank Shell for helping out. I'd like to thank Jess and Nath in the My Millennial Money team. I'd like to thank Jack and the team at Bowie for hosting us tonight. Give them a hand. Thanks so much, Newcastle. We'll see you soon. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 